Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, U.S. co-captain Becky Sauerbrunn talks about the changing face of the national team and the increased leadership role she has taken on in labor talks with U.S. soccer. The whole experience has been really great, and it's kind of carried off the field as well. You know, we're in the midst of these labor talks, and I've taken a pretty big role within that and within our Players Association. And it's just, it's something that if the players want me in that position, I will gladly be there, and I will do my absolute best to protect my players and do what's best for the program. All that and my thoughts on soccer coming up. Take one. Here we go with my three thoughts on soccer. First up, Bastian Schweinsteiger scored in his debut on Saturday for the Chicago Fire, which ended up tying Montreal 2-2. I keep hearing criticism of Schweinsteiger's signing from people calling it an old MLS deal that makes it look like a retirement league. But I don't buy that in this case. There are different strategies to signing designated players these days. All three of Atlanta's are younger than 24, which is striking. But look at Chicago's three DPs. David Akam is 26, Nemanja Nikolic is 29, and Schweinsteiger is 32. Those ages don't sound retirement league to me. MLS's best DP ever on the field, Robbie Keane, was still a key figure in winning titles with the LA Galaxy at age 34, and I'd take a 35-year-old Zlatan Ibrahimovic in this league in a heartbeat. Just because guys in their 30s can have an impact in MLS doesn't mean it's a retirement league. Take two. Premier League leading Chelsea lost at home to Crystal Palace over the weekend. Crazy stuff happens, of course, and Chelsea is still in great shape to win the title. But it got me to thinking, how often do we see bizarre results at club level right after an international window? Barcelona has made it such a routine to suffer from the FIFA flu that it was surprising to see Barca win this past weekend. I'm not a statistical guru, but I would love to see a study of how top teams perform right after a FIFA window. It can't be pretty, and you'd think some gamblers would be taking advantage of this. Take three. Finally, my interview this week is with U.S. women's co-captain Becky Sauerbrunn. Why Becky Sauerbrunn? Well, for starters, she's a terrific player, but I also felt like she hasn't received as much attention as other players on the U.S. team, and I sense that she has become more vocal in recent months as part of the labor talks with U.S. soccer and the women's team's fight for equal pay to the men's team. It turns out that she's noticed her increasingly vocal stance, too. I learned some new things from my interview with Becky Sauerbrunn, and I hope you will, too. Our guest today is the co-captain of the U.S. Women's National Team, which meets Russia on Thursday night with coverage starting at 8 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Becky Sauerbrunn is a World Cup winner and Olympic gold medalist, and her NWSL team, FC Kansas City, opens its season on April 16th against Boston. Becky, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, good to have you on. I've wanted to have you on for a long time, Um, and there's lots to talk about, actually, um, on different fronts. This is coming out a few days before the next U.S. national team game. So I did want to get a sense from a national team perspective about how you're approaching this game against Russia and how are you taking these very uncharacteristic, rare losses that you've had against France and England? I mean, obviously they're disappointing. You don't ever want to lose. Um, But I also think that we're trying new things. We're playing a new formation. We're trying new players. 
we're trying new players in different formations and different positions. And so I think it's great that we're experimenting and we're being found out a little bit, like where are we weak? Where are we strong? What do we need to work on? And we're going to take some bumps on the way. And we clearly did in the She Believes tournament, but I think that's completely necessary. And all that really matters is that in 2019, we're not losing to France and we're not losing to England. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me. Fans are fans. Like sometimes you have fans saying, you know, they should be experimenting now. And then the same fans are really upset when the experimenting happens and you lose. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you notice that as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, it's the end of the, the women's national team. They're just never going to be good again. And you just kind of have to laugh. You know, you're not going to please everybody. But um, internally, you know, we feel really good about the players that we have. And, you know, we're happy that we're trying new things. And I do feel like sometimes you need to fail and you need to be found out. And you just need to take that feedback and grow from it and fix the things that you can. And it's a long process. It's not a sprint. You know, it's a marathon. And honestly, 2019 is what matters. You're obviously a center back. Um, is it something where do you not think we'll see three in the back again with the national team? Or do you think it is a possibility? Um, it is a sort of, I guess, a, a, an alignment of formation that we're seeing often in the soccer ranks these days around the world, and we're seeing it being very successful at places like Chelsea. Um, Will it come back with the U.S.? I think so. I mean, I think it's a formation that would be really useful against certain competition. And so if teams are going to bunker, maybe it's a good idea to play three in the back and have another player in the midfield or up top. So I think it depends on the the teams that we play. Um, And I also think that it takes a little time to play a formation and to play it well and we've only been playing it really for off and on about five to six months and so it's it's still kind of new to us and we're still trying to put the right players in the right spots and so um, I think it's got a lot of potential and I really do hope that we continue to to use it because I think it will be beneficial against certain teams. Gotcha. Um, When it comes to the national team I wanted to ask you about kind of your changing leadership role because I'm on the outside, but it certainly seems to me that in the last couple of years, and maybe even in recent months with the, the, the labor situation, that you have taken an even greater leadership role within the national team. Is that accurate? Yeah, I guess, I guess that'd be accurate. Um, after 2015, we had a lot of players retire that you know, were veterans, were leaders, Um, And I I think it happened just kind of organically that, you know, that next kind of um, level of player kind of just, you know, everyone bumps up a little bit. And I was one of those players and um, I've accepted it. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not an Abby Wambach. You know, I'm very different from her and, and her leadership. But it's something that I've taken on and I've really had a great time, you know, learning and, you know, I do good things, I do bad things, but, um, just the whole experience has been really great and it's kind of carried off the field as well. You know, we're in the midst of these labor talks and I've taken a pretty big role within that and within our players association. And it's just, it's something that if the players want me in that position, I will gladly be there and I will do my absolute best to protect my players and, um, do what's best for the program. Well, let's use that as a jumping off point to talk a little bit about Labor Talks. And we're actually uh, speaking on the 28th, but this isn't coming out until early April. So um, 
where are we right now in labor talks? And I think maybe the indication has been that because you guys have continued playing for the national team and NWSL that, well, an agreement must be coming soon. But I talked to some people in here that maybe the sides are farther apart than some people think. I mean, well, we started off extremely far apart and we're getting closer. Um, there's obviously still gaps in certain parts of the the CBA that we haven't agreed upon. Um, but we're making, ever since we made the concerted effort to change the tone, um, we're in there. You know, we've had 20 plus negotiations where players are present with our negotiating team. And it's a very nuanced CBA. It's not just national team. It also involves the NWSL and we're trying to be creative with some of the obstacles that we've come up against. It's just nuanced and it takes time and there are a lot of details and we don't want to rush it. We want to get this right because we see this as kind of a launching point for a lot of the CBAs to come to to bounce off of. What are some of the sticking points? Are there, is there anything in particular that you could discuss? Yeah, I would say that for so long, the national team has been our source of security for the player pool that you know, the men have their their pro teams. The national team has been our pro team, in quotes. Um, and so for us, as a Players Association, we're looking forward and saying, okay, where is the women's game going? What would be most beneficial for the program? And we absolutely think going to a pay-to-play model is the future. The problem is, is that women's soccer is not at the stage yet where our player pool can find our source of security from the NWSL. And so instead of making just this huge shift, we're gradually meeting in the middle and then going from there. So it's, it's very difficult and you're thinking very conceptually and then trying to, you know, legalize it. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's been really difficult, but our shared goals with the Federation is that we want to win in 2019. We want to win in 2020. And so how as a group, us in the Federation, how can we achieve those goals? How can we expand the player pool, but still protect the player pool? And so we're, we're both parties are going into it thinking and hopefully coming up with solutions together as a partnership to, to get to 2019 and to win 2019. Okay. Um, it would seem that that makes sense, sort of, you know, a hybrid of what the men have now and, you know, somewhere in between what you've had in the past with the women's team, is the Federation, do they, are they going along with that idea? I mean, obviously nothing has been agreed to yet, but we've come up with tentative agreements. Um, But I think that they've really, we've thought out of the box and they've accepted a lot of it. And I think that was really difficult for them. And so I think we have gotten a lot closer on certain parts of the the structure um, than we have in, in past months. Okay. And are there any areas where you're like still way far apart? I mean, without getting into the nitty gritty, um, yeah, sure. There are still some things that we obviously would hope would be more or more expansive and that they just don't think or see that being necessary at this point. Mm-hmm. Um when we had Sunil Gulati on the podcast, the U.S. soccer president recently, I asked him, would equal pay be something you could use to describe what's going to happen eventually once there is an agreement? And his response came down to equitable pay is how he sees it. 
Um, how do you see it? Will equal pay, does it need to be uh, a phrase that could describe what this agreement is going to be? I think that's difficult because, like I was saying, that we're trying to figure out where women's soccer is going. And so we might not have the same exact structure as the men. And so equal isn't the right word. It would be equitable because we are asking for a different structure. Okay. Gotcha. Um, This Friday, actually the Friday before this podcast comes out, is the one-year anniversary of the EEOC filing uh, that you guys had. Um, Have you heard any news on where that is in, in the challenge that you guys made? Yeah, apparently the EEOC investigation is in its later stages. Um, and so we hope to hear um, kind of their findings hopefully soon. And from there, along with, you know, a CBA agreement, we hope that um, gender equity will occur in this CBA and will benefit the, the player pool for many, many years going forward. Okay. Um, and I, I know you've been watching this U.S. women's hockey team situation uh, were there refusing to play in the world championships. Uh, what's your sense of what they're doing? I think it's extremely courageous and I wish them the best. You know, we were contemplating that just last year about potentially boycotting world championship and it's not an easy thing to even discuss. You know, you put your, your life and your time into a sport and then to, decide on your own not to play at the highest level of competition just to have your voice heard. It's a, a sad and difficult thing to have to do, but I hope they get everything that they want. I think it's amazing what they're doing. I think the support that they got from the American men is also very powerful. Um, and I hope that they come to a resolution that they feel very good about. Now, I want to ask you about the relationship between the women's team and the men's team, and I don't want to make a big deal about it or spend too much time on it, but because the original uh, action was in relation to the men's team, how is the relationship between you guys and the men, and is there, is there any sort of healing process that needs to happen or has happened, or, or how do you feel about that? I think a healing process needs to happen. Like you said early on, it was very much, you know, the men make more than the women do and they probably aren't as successful. And that was a, I think that set a really bad tone. And I think we're still, there's still bad feelings about that. And I think it's really unfortunate and I think it's disheartening because I think if the men did support us, um, I think that voice, I think the Federation would hear that. I think, you know, the country would hear that. And so I hope there comes a point where we can get together at some point and talk through it or just, yeah, like you said, have some sort of like healing moment because, I mean, we love the men and we know that um, if they do well, the program does well. You know, they generate a lot of revenue. That money goes back into the program and it benefits everybody. So we wish them the best. And, you know, we certainly hope that they would wish us the best. Interesting. Well, um, is that something that, you have as, as one of the captains, maybe? I know you're very busy with everything you're doing. Um, is that something that you might be in a situation to reach out to someone on the men's side? Yeah, I certainly hope so. I mean, I, I reached out um, to one of the players a while back, and you know, I thought maybe our player associations would maybe come together, put a statement out or something, but it, you know, it just never happened. And then um, some interviews came out, and you could tell that some of the men – 
weren't quite sure how they felt about the whole equal pay for equal play. So it kind of fell on the wayside. So Mm -hmm. hopefully I think that is something that I would like to amend in the future because I think having a good relationship between the men and the women um, would be a really good thing. Um, You're from St. Louis. Um, Shifting gears a little bit here. Um, I'm curious to know, St. Louis has such a a history of uh, soccer culture in this country that goes back into the early 20th century, uh, that a culture that still exists today and was wondering, are you a product of that? And in what ways? I absolutely think so. I mean, I, from a very young age, grew up watching the ambush and the St. Louis steamers. So like every weekend I was, you know, at the arena watching those games, listening to them on the radio, I had coaches that played um, that have, you know, deep roots in St. Louis, you know, so I definitely think I'm a product of St. Louis soccer. Is is that something where you're in Kansas City right now, a wonderful city, my hometown, <laughs> um, but would you like to see there be an MLS team and an NWSL team in St. Louis? Yeah, I think that would be great. I think you know, the infrastructure needs to be in place. Obviously, you know, stadium would help. But I think St. Louis is a city because of its history. I think it would really appreciate teams there at the top level. And I hope that'll happen very soon. You're listening to Planet Football with Grant Wall. Let me take a minute to tell you about HelloFresh. HelloFresh wants to change the way people eat forever. Honest, natural, delicious, and healthy food is something HelloFresh believes everyone deserves. They know there is a chef in all of us and celebrate making magic in the kitchen with fresh ingredients. The HelloFresh movement strives to make people happy by bringing them together with healthy, delicious, natural food. HelloFresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. HelloFresh currently offers customers a classic box, veggie box, and a family box. Customers can order three, four, or five different meals per week designed for either two or four people. New recipes are created every week. Whether you're a busy professional couple, a large family that runs at a breakneck pace, or someone who simply wants to start cooking more, HelloFresh makes it easier, tastier, and healthier than ever to enjoy the experience of cooking new recipes and eating together at home. From creating the recipes and planning the meals to grocery shopping and even delivering all the pre-measured ingredients, HelloFresh delivers right to your door so you can skip the trip. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. HelloFresh sources the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed so there's no food waste. They have a full-time registered dietitian on staff who reviews each recipe to ensure it's nutritionally balanced and it's delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. I use HelloFresh and I love it. Now for the good part. Planet Football listeners will get $30 off your first week of deliveries by using the promo code PLANET30 when you subscribe at HelloFresh.com. It's that simple. Go to HelloFresh.com and enter promo code PLANET30 when you subscribe for $30 off your first week of deliveries. You can also give them a follow on Twitter at HelloFresh. HelloFresh.com, promo code PLANET30 for $30 off your first week of deliveries. Subscribe today. I'm ashamed to say this because I've never written a feature about you in the magazine for Sports Illustrated. And we always have nice conversations when we talk. But I don't know a ton about your interests off the field, about 
all that seems to have registered with me, and this is my fault, not yours, is Becky reads a lot of books. That's pretty accurate, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and what's your taste? What do you like reading? Um, I'm actually a big fan of science fiction and fantasy. Like okay. super nerd alert. Yeah. So yeah, very nerdy. Give me some details. I may not know anything about what you're talking about, but I'm curious. Um, you, do you want like book names and things like that? I guess, yeah. Yeah, like aliens, all that stuff. Magic, I'm all into it. <laughs> I have no problem admitting that. And how often, like, are you reading like a, a book a week, a book a month? What, what are we talking about here? Oh, probably a book or two a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I take this very seriously. I'm a serious reader. <laughs> That's pretty intense. Um, and so we're not talking in general books about soccer. No, no. Um, I don't tend to read nonfiction. And most of my soccer, I just like to watch it. Okay. No, that makes sense. What are you reading right now? It's called The Three Body Problem. It's about aliens. So <laughs> <laughs> This is awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and when you go into a national team camp, as you're about to do not long after this interview, what, like, do you take a lot of books with you? What, you know, when you're not playing, what are you doing in a national team camp? <laughs> Recovering. And a lot of that is, yeah, I bring books. I have audibles on my phone. And so on the plane or right before I go to sleep, I'm just listening to books because sometimes I'm too tired to like physically hold the book and read it. Um, so I listen to books all the time, but yeah, I bring a few. Um, and then also there's a few players on the team that we kind of rotate and borrow each other's books while on the road. So there's always something to read. Is there something close to a book club that exists on the national team or is that taking it too far? That's taking it too far. You know, we've talked about creating some sort of book club, but it's just never become a reality. So I don't want to force it. You know, it's never fun to be the person that forces a book club on anybody. So hopefully it'll happen organically. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the NWSL season because there's cool stuff happening as far as the lifetime agreement uh, that uh, took place. They're going to show a game of the week now uh, for the next three years. There seems like there's a real feeling of stability around the NWSL right now. Is that what you're feeling? Yeah, I think the fact that we're entering our fifth season is a huge accomplishment. I think having Lifetime come in as a major investor and showing a game a week is huge. I think what we need to do for this league is get people to know about it. And I think having televised games is a big part of that, um, upping up markability, um, just getting fans in the stands, just getting the word out that you know there's a league and there's some really, really good soccer players in this league. Um, and so it's really exciting times and it feels good. You know, it's exciting entering this fifth season, you know, I was part of the, uh, the WPS and was very upset when it folded, um, wasn't sure if another league was going to come back. So to have the NWSL going strong, it's a good sign for women's soccer. And your team, FC Kansas city, you won two championships. You did not win last year. Was that a weird feeling not to win a title? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was super unfortunate. You know, I would prefer to win championships, but um, we did lose um, some players to pregnancy and to retirement. And so it was a little bit of a, a rebuilding. And where we're starting this season, um, this preseason, we're already very far along from where we were last season. So it's just exciting. I just love the team. I love the philosophy that we play here. I love the coaching staff. Um, it's just such a good feeling. And 
I just feel like every time I'm, I'm in Kansas City and I'm playing the soccer, um, it just feels so good, so rejuvenating. Well, give me some details. There are some people returning to the team this year about what you're excited about with this team heading into the season. Specifically my team? Yeah. Just the the style of soccer. I mean, we've got Sydney LaRue coming back. You know, she gave birth. Amy Rodriguez also gave birth. So we have this like very potent attack mm-hmm. and a very strong defense. Flatco, our coach, loves defense. I mean, he's one of the best defensive coaches I've ever had. And he wants to play soccer the way it should be played. It's beautiful and it's fluid and it's dynamic and it's creative. And it's all these things that soccer should be. And it's so fun because you've got these kind of veteran players, but then you get the draftees and these trialists and they're being introduced for the first time to the style of soccer sometimes. And to see them take to it, um, it's just really fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this season. I think it's not just the game of the week on Lifetime. They're going to be showing all the games in the league online. And I'm told they're going to be doing a lot of their own coverage, feature coverage, um, and really treating the league the way it should be treated um, in terms of making sure the public knows what's going on with the players and the personalities and everyone involved. Um, I do know that one big change in the offseason is you have a new owner of your team in Kansas City. Um, There was some concern that the team might be moved. That is not the case. Um, Have you noticed anything different in any day-to-day sense with the new ownership? Well, one of the the big concerns was how is this going to affect on-field stuff? And with the new ownership, nothing has changed on the field. And so that's really, that's my concern is how does this affect on-field? But everything's the same. And in off-field, it's kind of business as usual. And I think that's a good sign that the transition has been, you know, really smooth. Clearly from, you know, what has been happening over the last several months and, and even in this interview here, I think you're finding your voice as a leader for the national team and... Uh, that's always cool to see, and that is a process that happens in sports. Uh, is it your sense that you just feel more comfortable these days speaking? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate in my career. You know, I've had a lot of on-field success. I've been a part of successful teams. And lately I've been asking myself, okay, like what – can I do to make a lasting impact with the NWSL, with the national team, with the culture and with women's soccer? And I don't know, I guess it's just come to a point where it's like, it's now or never, you know, it's, you have more of a voice while you're playing. So if I want to do those things, I need to do it now. And I've become more comfortable with myself. I've become more comfortable in whatever leadership position that I'm in. And, um, I feel like my intentions are true and I think that helps because I just want the best for women's soccer and for my teammates. I mean, I noticed on your social media not too long ago, uh, you're not the only player who's done this, but you're a co-captain of the national team that you had uh, an opinion on President Trump's travel ban and you put it out there and what was a very well-written statement. Is that something that was important to you to do? Yeah. Normally I, I wouldn't just go out there and give a statement, but I was asked to write something about the Muslim travel ban. So I did. And, you know, if people want to ask me certain questions, I will definitely give you my, my opinion. Um, but I think in 
more more recently I have been a little bit more willing to just kind of go out on the on the limb myself and and say what I want to say and have my opinion heard. Yeah. Um, just to wrap up here, uh, you know, there's a long time between now and the next World Cup. What do you want to see sort of happen in 2017 with this national team as you're on that road to 2019? I think I know what I want to see is that what made us so amazing in the last few world championships is a mentality that we are just not going to lose. And sometimes I felt that we relied on that too much, that we were willing ourselves to win as opposed to just being good enough to win. And so what I, I want to see is like staying true to that mentality, but layering in more sophistication, more savviness, more technique, more tactics, more on-field decision-making. And so I think that's those are very difficult things to kind of layer in, but luckily we've got some time to do that. But I want to see us to keep making steps that we're staying true to what made us amazing in the past, but also what's going to make us even more amazing in the future. Becky Sauerbrunn, thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Becky Sauerbrunn as well as everyone at Digital Media and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, HelloFresh and T-Mobile. If you enjoyed this episode, there are other great new and archived episodes you can check out, including my recent interviews with Paolo Maldini, Tim Howard, Jimmy Conrad, Don Garber, Marc-Andre Tristegen, Yvonne Rakitic, and Kyle Martino. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, and review it on iTunes. It really does help the cause if you do. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.